You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CibeloCreek.com. Good morning. Good morning. Wow. I think King Jesus, uh, his Holy Spirit is here. What do you think? Man. It's great to be here this morning. Uh, I'm relief pitching for Paul a little bit. Um, for those of you who I've not had an opportunity to meet yet, my name is Kristen. I'm the adult ministries pastor here. And my family, the Burford family, uh, has been at this church and in this community for about uh, 20 years or so. It's hard to say that, it makes me feel old. <laughs> and this week is actually week seven of getting the game. So that means that it is the seventh inning stretch, right? So what do we sing at the seventh inning stretch? The the, sweet Caroline. (laughs) Take me out to the ball game. We had a little rendition down here. That was fantastic. Did you guys know that take me out to the ball game is actually the third most popular song in the United States behind only the star spangled banner and happy birthday. That's crazy, right? So um, also, um, the seventh inning stretch, the history of the seventh inning stretch is a little bit muddy. And that song kind of happened a little bit by accident. So one of the origin stories of the seventh inning stretch was that President Taft back in 1910 threw out a first pitch. And then mid seventh inning, he decided to stand up and stretch his legs. Everybody thought he was leaving. So they stood up out of respect. And then another origin story says that, no, it was actually a a gentleman named uh, Brother Jasper, also known as the Prefect of Perfection. It's a big title at Manhattan College. And he thought that the fans were getting a little bit too rambunctious. So he made them stand up and stretch their legs. And then the the New York Giants actually picked that up because they were playing some exhibition games there at Manhattan College. And then both of those origin stories kind of came into question when they found this letter from a manager named Harry Wright of the Cincinnati Red Stockings. And that letter said this, the spectators all arise between halves of the seventh inning. They extend their arms and legs and sometimes walk about. And in doing so, they enjoy, enjoy the relief afforded by relaxation from long postures on hard benches. And that was written before Brother Jasper and before President Taft. And then just a final theory is... They're just taking a break for drinks and snacks. Good old American commerce and and marketing, right? A beloved tradition uh, that's known around the world and how it began, kind of unknown. How did it get shared? Also unknown. So why does it continue today? Because it has become a tradition, and now there's some nostalgia and some emotional uh, thought around the seventh inning, as well as that song, which Harry Carey sang from the broadcast booth back in the 1970s. Thousands and thousands of people who stand, take a collective break, sing in unison with joy. People from all walks of life, every demographic and experience, in unity, a movement started by one, followed by a few, shared by many, grown to thousands, and now a tradition no one would ever consider halting. Kind of interesting, right? 
We're gonna come back to that. Right now, we're gonna take our own uh, seventh inning stretch, so to speak, by reminding ourselves where we've been these first six innings. Um, sort of a check of the score, if you will. So we've spent this summer looking at the church and our role in it, Christ followers who are not about religion, but about relationship. Learning how to get in the game using the God-given gifts that we've been given. Even when life throws us some hard pitches or we strike out. And so up to today, we've been talking about you and me, the church and our individual roles in it, the things that God created us to do. And all of those things are foundations fundamentals, if you will, for this uh, game of life, these precious numbers of days that we've been given here on this earth. And yet, it isn't about you and it isn't about me. While all that we've talked about in these six innings is foundational and it's true, sometimes we, I, can hear those messages in somewhat of a simplified kind of easy button way just believe. Okay, I can do that. Just gather as my church. Okay, I can do that. Just serve. Got it. Check. Just do one thing to take a step closer to Christ. Okay, fine. I'll read my Bible and I'll pray. Check. Again, all foundational, but sometimes we like to microwave our faith. Or as one speaker, Christine Kane, calls it, make our faith fast food and Amazon deliveries. But those first six innings, they're more than about checking boxes. They're about a change so deep within that our very lives become a lived gospel. It's about holiness, about being set apart and different Scripture calls that sanctified. And that word holiness in Greek is hagiosmos. It's just fun to say, <laughs> hagiosmos. So today we're really not going to take a break in the seventh inning. We're not going to ease up. In fact, we're going to do exactly the opposite. We're going to go just a little bit deeper. We might stretch a little, hopefully. Um, and we're going to go deeper by exploring these questions. Set apart for what? Or more importantly, for whom? For what and who is this difficult work of hagiosmos for? I mean, why holiness? I've accepted Christ. I'm a good person. Why holy? And does it really, does it really matter? When I tell people that I'm a baseball mom, I get one of two reactions. One's kind of like this. Oh, a baseball mom. Another one's a little bit more like solidarity, sort of the uh, high five to uniform washing, sock locating, equipment bag dumping, frozen Gatorade, eye black, cute baseball earrings, fist pump to long days on hard benches. Two very different views of a baseball mom. I mean, we've all seen those videos, right? The cute littles dancing to their walk-up music or running the bases on slow motion, sometimes backwards. Um, or we've seen the videos with the mom screaming in the background because her kid just made their very first home run. Or sometimes we see those videos that go viral 
the moms screaming at the ump or the other team's players or um, even better, sometimes a stand-clearing brawl led by the moms. That's great. I think they all just needed a seventh-inning stretch and just sing, take me out to the ball game. And I know what some of you might be thinking at this point. Um, Kristen, you're kind of a novice at this thing up here. And we know where you're headed. I mean, you told us about baseball moms in the videos so that we could make the choice to not behave like the crazy baseball mom because God said so. And I would say, hold on, lean in, because it's really not where I'm going. If following Jesus was about behavior modification, we'd all be in a heap of trouble, right? In John, when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, there is no life in you. He's not talking about behavior modification. He's talking about him being the bread of our life, being so much a part of who we are that he is first in everything we do. That's holiness or hagiosmos. I grew up in this conservative Baptist environment and so much good came from that. Really, it's foundation for why I'm even here today. Um, but just like any denomination, there were some not so good and some kind of odd moments. And we had this thing that makes me chuckle just a little bit. We would take uh, swear words and we knew that wasn't following Jesus. So we would make up words that sounded similar. So here's one, sugar. You all know exactly what I'm saying when I, when I say that. And the thing that I always found so confusing was, so did everybody else. <laughs> when I ran through the Red Rover line and hit a wall and yelled sugar, they knew exactly what I meant by that. True story, by the way. But it is what humans do when we are trying to modify our behavior instead of truly becoming a follower of Jesus. Paul talked to us a couple weeks ago about being a follower versus a fan, and he left us with this question. Does my life today look more like Jesus than it did yesterday? So this morning, we're going to consider why being a follower is not just about us, and it is not about the outward behaviors that we display others, not just about that. Uh, I had an opportunity to speak to our leaders this past year at an event we call Next Leadership back in February, and I had come across and shared this framework about thinking about this concept of being uh, set apart. Uh, academia uses these fancy terms called orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And orthodoxy really just means our theology or how we talk about God and his relationship to our world. And then orthopraxy is the way that we then live out our orthodoxy. So we're gonna talk about the space in between those two things, the separation of our beliefs and our lived experience. Because today's world especially our next generation, they see the, the church, capital C, and believers, they see our gap between our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy, and they recognize it as hypocrisy. And right or wrong, 
it leads to a wondering if, if we even believe what we are saying. Do we truly believe in Jesus and do we trust all that scripture tells us? Matthew 5, 46 through 48 says it this way. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anyone else? Do not even the Gentiles do this? Essentially, those verses are saying, how are we different? How are we set apart and living our theology? How are we hagiosmos? Dr. Craig Blomberg is a well-known theologian speaker, a theologian speaker, author, and his commentary about these, uh, these verses, Matthew 5, says this, and it's really important. Almost all people look after their own. It's nothing different about that. The true test of genuine Christianity is how believers treat those whom they are naturally inclined to hate or who mistreat or persecute them. Whatever emotions may be involved here, love, love refers to a generous, warm, costly self-sacrifice for another's good. And greet, greet your brother is more than a simple hello. It's a heartfelt expression for the other person's welfare. And people who so love and greet their enemies and pray for their persecutors thus prove themselves to be those who are growing in conformity to the likeness of their heavenly father. They're different. They're hagiosmos, and it's more than just a righteous response. It's more, I would say, even than just a needed response. It's a critical response for today, and it covers almost every topic that currently divides us or causes us chaos and pain. When we leave here, how are we different the other 167 hours of our week? Which baseball mom shows up when faced with those who mistreat us or disagree with us? Is it the one who still greets them with a heartfelt desire for their welfare? Does our orthodoxy line up with our orthopraxy or to do those who need Jesus the most recognize the hypocrisy in our lived theology? When I began this Sunday morning teaching experience uh, about a year ago, I told you about Buffalo and their incredible response when a storm rolls over top of them. Buffalo are hardwired to see their fellow bison, to gather them together, to face that storm and run directly through it. That is what Jesus is telling us that we believe with every fiber of our being, such that when storms roll over us, when someone hates us or mistreats us, that we run with him and towards him. That as we play this game of life, we're swinging for the fences in the trust that we're gonna knock it out of the park for him. <sighs> Holiness, that's really hard, Kristen. And I would agree, some days, most days, 
that's really hard. But let's put that into some perspective. The apostles, those followers who didn't take what I like to call the first unfollow button, John 6, 66, look it up. When he said it was hard, those are the ones that left. <laughs> the apostles who chose hard, Peter was crucified upside down. James was killed with a sword. And before John died, he was boiled in a vat of oil for sport at a Colosseum. There's conflicting accounts of Bartholomew's death, all of them gruesome. Thomas was stabbed with spears. Matthew, James, Jude, and Simon all have conflicting accounts, but they were martyred. And Paul was beheaded by Emperor Nero. That's a faith that's hard. Would we be willing? Responding to criticism with holiness, it might not be hard. Reacting with holiness to loss or disappointment, maybe not hard. Turning the other cheek, not hard. Loving an enemy who disagrees with us, not hard. Wanting the best for a spouse or former spouse, child or family member that hurt us. The holy self-sacrifice of our time and our energy and our resources for somebody that we don't know, maybe not hard. Look, I know it feels hard. I've been there. I am there. And I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I am asking us to consider making the choice for holiness instead of just calling it too hard. And when we do, when we do that, it's a blessed life. If you guys have your Bibles uh, or, or your phones, turn with me to Matthew 5. We're going to start in verse 3. This is what it looks like when we choose holiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Holiness is worth it. For whom are we to be different? Hagiosmos, holiness, is for him alone, an audience of one. And if we make it about anyone or anything else, it's about self. It's arrogant and it can smell of behavior modification for appearances only. Hagiosmos is for an audience of one. But why holiness? Why sanctified? Why set apart? Isn't good good enough? Currently, there are 
scholars and teachers and authors and podcasters talking about this revival that's happening around our world. Where that isn't happening or where it's lagging is in the Western church, perhaps the American church. Here, there's a little bit of an exodus. There's an entire generation, next generation, taking a look at faith and church and calling what they see hypocrisy and wondering if what we say is so true and so critical and so life-giving, then why aren't we living it out the other 167 hours? We are responsible for changing this game that is not working for our next generation. We're responsible for picking up a bat and taking practice swings every day, putting on a glove and playing catch every day of our lives, for practicing what we preach until it's like walking and talking and breathing, until our very existence says, he's a Christ follower. She's a Christ follower, and I want that. I want what she believes in. So why not, why hagiosmos and not just do good and be nice? Because we are responsible for being a lived theology to our next generation. Professor McKnight says, the only theology is a lived theology. Are you satisfied with this game that's happening around us in our community and our world? Me neither, and we shouldn't be. Being a follower, being different and set apart is a way to change this playing field. If our next generation doesn't want what we have, then what are we doing? If we keep holiness in this building, in this dugout, then why are we here? Holiness is for an audience of one and holiness matters to our next generation and we are all responsible for that. After those verses that we read in Matthew, the Beatitudes, it says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house. Now hear this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father and who is in heaven. For this next generation to see our light and still ultimately, it's for the audience of one. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who's in heaven. Hagiosmos is for an audience of one and holiness matters to our next generation. So the final question is this, does my holiness really matter? Does my different really make a difference to a generation? Really? And I go back to where we started at the seventh inning stretch.
people from all walks of life, every demographic and experience in unity. A movement started by one, shared by a few, followed by many, grown to thousands, now a tradition no one would ever consider halting. Yeah, God can use our holiness. And our holiness in Cibolo Creek Community Church, it matters. Our holiness in Fair Oaks and Bernie and Leon Springs and San Antonio and Bulverde, it matters. And your journey towards being different is God-given and it matters. Friends, what are we doing if we are not different in our everyday lives? And I'm not talking about behavior. If we don't believe and follow Jesus like it is our everything, why would anybody else want it? When we do that, we're just cheering fans for a revival that's happening around the world while unwilling to pick up a bat in our own backyard. If you take away no other point or scripture this morning, take this one, Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The scripture tells us that we are to maintain harmony in our Christian community. And the related cha challenge there is to be holy, to pursue holiness. But it's clear that we have a part to play in that. We must have a holiness which flows from a genuine obedience to his will, not behavior modification for the sake of appearances. Apart from that kind of holiness, nobody will see the Lord. So what does that really look like? When we leave here this morning, what's that look like? I don't have it figured out. I'm a wife and a mom. <laughs> I'm an employee and a sister. I live in this community and do life along with you. But here's a few things that I'm learning on this journey to be different. Be willing. Trust in him fully, and then we got to remove some barriers to our holiness. Be willing. Am I willing to do the hard work of hagiosmos? If we're willing, he can use that willingness. In 1 Samuel 17, we read about this Philistine, this giant Goliath, who would confront Saul's army for 40 days straight, taunting, taunting him and his army, until a shepherd boy, David, showed up with a sling and a handful of stones. God used those stones to defeat that giant and the Philistine army. And at, since a child, I can't even tell you how many times I've heard that Bible story. But a couple weeks ago, I heard a really incredible fact that I was unaware of. I was listening to Bema Discipleship Podcast, great podcast. You see, Saul, he came from this tribe called Benjamin. And Benjamin had these mighty warriors who were the best of the best with a sling, sort of like a special forces. And Saul, most likely, he was a marksman with a sling. But for 40 days, Saul sat in his tent 
God can't use a stone sitting in a tent no matter how good the warrior is. God used the stone that was in the air from the one that was willing to stand up. We have to be willing, not the smartest and the best sitting in this room, but putting on our holiness when we go outside this tent and then trust him with our very lives. He's given us everything we need, regardless what others say, what they think, how they treat you when you choose to be holy. We have an enemy and he's gainfully employed in this world today. So trust requires that relationship that Paul talked about uh, last week. When it's a relationship and we're not checking religion boxes, he gives us all the power we need to fight the enemy and to be different. In Ezekiel 36, 26, the prophet tells us that he replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh and he puts his spirit within us and causes us to walk in his ways. We gotta be willing. And then we have to truly trust that he's given us all we need. And then because we're human, we gotta remove some barriers. I promise you <laughs> that God leads me to talk about the things that I need to learn about the most. I'm 100% on that. So I have to talk about a curveball that gets in our way every day of our lives. And that's our phone. Can we just be honest about that for a second? Our phones have become a barrier, a disruptor, a chaos creator, and a way for the enemy to invade our mind and our heart. Please don't hear me as Kristen, the phone police. If you do, you can email P. Wilson. Just kidding. <laughs> it's not about behavior modification with your phones, but it is about removing barriers that keep us from holiness. Are we different in a world where the enemy wants us disconnected while simultaneously the most connected we've ever been with our phones? If it's not the phone for you, discover what your barriers are to holiness. For those in the room and online who are thinking, whew, holiness, I'm just trying to figure out who Jesus is for me. I would say watch and listen to those who are being different every day of the week. Find a small group of friends who can help you answer that question because it is the most important question. My favorite quote from C.S. Lewis is this, Christianity, if false, it's of no importance. If true, it's of an infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. Find some people to help you answer that question. For those in the room and online who say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, I know who Jesus is and I follow him. Our next generation needs us. We need to be a people who are different. Why would anybody want what we have? 
In many ways, our next generation is smarter and they have way more information than we did. And when our lives don't match our words, they see it. Students and young adults, you guys are the church. You're the future of the church. Those that you go to school with, those that you work with, they need to see followers of Jesus Christ who can point them to the only hope. They need you to be different in a world that wants you to be just like them. Okay, so let me leave you with just a few things that I'm learning. Hagiosmos is not about behavior modification. Holiness is a belief that goes from our head, our orthodoxy, to our heart and overflows into our very lives, our orthopraxy. Let's leave here willing to be different and then trusting him when we choose the hard work of hagiosmos. And then let's take some time to discover what those barriers are for us. And finally, let's keep asking ourselves this question. Is my life set apart such that the next generation would want what we have in Jesus? Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you're one of those in the audience who or online who are uh, still trying to figure out who Jesus is, or you have a barrier that you just can't get past, I'd love to talk to you. Any pastor on our staff would love to have a conversation with you. You can stay after or Info Central has all our con contact information, but we'd love to help you with that. I'm gonna pray us out this morning while we consider holiness, but don't leave after I pray. I got two more things you're gonna wanna hear. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we are just so grateful that we have the freedom to worship you this morning. Lord, I pray for every person that's within earshot. Lord, you know their journey. You know where they are in relationship to you and to this journey of being holy. Lord, I ask that you would give every one of us the opportunity this week to choose the hard work of holiness. Lord, I ask that you would give us the trust, help us build that relationship and Lord, I just pray that you would change us when we leave this room. Lord, I lift up our next generation. You know more than we do all the things that they encounter. I ask that we would lift them up, that we would be models to them. And I pray for them as they head back into school this fall and off to camp next week. Lord, just let your presence be known in their lives. Lord, we ask all these things in your name. Amen.